Today, out of Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the very word of the Lord. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithana, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, Zaya, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia, was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, We thank you that it is your good pleasure that we hear the gospel. Help us now as we hear this account of the building of your church by the preaching of the gospel. Help us to understand how we are to carry out the proclamation of the gospel by understanding the things that you did. The things that you have done, your mighty deeds that you did in and through your church, your people. Help us with humility to take not only wisdom from this time of preaching, but that we would find refreshment and strengthening, conviction and transformation from the very power of the word preached and the Holy Spirit indwelling that is even displayed here in your word. Continue your work In the fulfillment of your promises, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we are moving on from a very long time in Acts 15 and finally getting into Acts chapter 16. And we move on from the time of the Jerusalem Council and we see now that the very way that chapter 15 ended, this is just going right into the same flow. We are in the second missionary journey of Paul. And to do a quick recap, not to, to scare you, but we do need to, to remember how it was left off so we can understand the context of where we're going as we go into chapter 16. We remember that we had the Jerusalem Council who settled the question and the concern of whether or not the Gentile Christians had to be circumcised. 
And the answer was no, that they would be saved by faith just as they were, that the promises have been fulfilled in Christ, and that would not be a requirement and a demand of the Gentile Christians to be circumcised. In addition to that, we see that they were given pastoral direction and instruction to these Gentile Christians because of their culture of um, idolatrous worship, They received the pastoral instruction to refrain from eating foods that were given to idols and had blood and to refrain from sexual immorality. We saw that they both were seeing that this was a thing that was incorporated into the worship of pagan gods and could be easily brought into the incorporation of the worship of Jesus Christ. And so not only was there a moral objection to the sexual immorality, but it was something that they would not to even bring into the place of worship. And also not to confuse and to meddle and merge the pagan rituals into the very worship of Jesus Christ. And so this was brought to the other churches. And if you look at the end of chapter 15, they had a couple of things in mind of what they were planning on doing, furthering their missionary work. In verse 36, their goal was to go back to the churches that have already heard the gospel proclaimed and to just simply see how they are. Chapter 15, verse 36. We see that there's a pastoral care that they want to just check up on each other. This not only teaches us that it's good for churches and pastors and ministers to check up with the broader church, but this is just a simple thing that any of us, any good person, namely even a Christian, that they would check up on people. Now, I know that even amongst us today that those even hearing those words could be difficult to hear because I know that many people at different times feel like they have not been checked up on. And inversely to that, some people don't like to be checked up on and rather be pushed away. And that is a battle, a spiritual battle that is occurring both in those who neglect to check on one another, but also to those who do not want to be checked on. It is a spiritual battle that Satan puts before us, but it is a spiritual call that churches, Christians, families, individuals check up with each other to see how each other are doing. And that's what Paul is doing here, that this missionary focus is simply to carry out how is everybody doing. Secondly, they were to... They had a principle being practiced here. We see in verses 37 through 40 that there is at least the principle of two, of going. You, and there's even a dispute of who was going to bring who. And so we had Barnabas and Mark, and we had Silas and Paul, and they were all kind of wrangling about what the strategy would be. Thankfully, the story seems to end on a good note that they're even commended in their work, and they actually split directions because of their inability to be fully in unity with that. But we see here that even in this moment, that God is being gracious and spreading out the gospel in strengthening the churches, which we see in verse 41. Give me a moment. Peter's messing up here. And then, of course, we see in verse 35 and in 32 that the ultimate goal is to deliver the gospel of the word, to deliver the word of God, to deliver pastoral care, but to ultimately to bring the good news. 
And so here we start in chapter 16, and that is what they are attempting to do. It says that Paul came to Derby and Lystra, and he encounters a guy named Timothy. Now, for those of you who have been in the Word for some time, know that Timothy is a very significant associate of Paul. That even Paul considers Timothy to be a spiritual son in the faith. That he is his spiritual father. This is the first time that we are introduced to Timothy. And it's important to understand where he met Timothy and when he met Timothy and why he is doing what he's doing. Because what we're about to encounter has been a very confusing circumstance and narrative for the church for some for the very for the forever ever since this has been put into words where we have before us now. He meets Timothy, who is a child of a Jewish woman, who is a believer. So a Jewish woman who is a believer, who is trusting in Christ, but has the background of being Jewish. And he is the son of a Greek. And from every account that we can tell, that he is not considered to be a believer. That there is the distinction here in this word. It doesn't say and he was also a believer. This is not a Gentile Christian. This was a... He was the son of a father of a Greek pagan. But Timothy was well spoken of in that the brothers in Lystra and Iconium had in him high esteem and being one of good repute, a good reputation. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him as he went on his journey. Now, just as a quick little note, just so you can put your mind where this is, if probably some of you who maybe do not get an opportunity to spend a lot of time looking at maps and understand geography, if you do watch the news, if you happen to see the news that's going on in the Ukraine, if you look at Kiev and you go straight down across the Black Sea, you'll run into Turkey. And if you go straight down, you're going to go right in the middle of where we are in this journey that Paul is going through and all of these names of the city. So the next time you see a map and you look at modern-day Turkey, this is going right through modern-day Turkey. And this is the, the second missionary journey. And so in the middle of that, near Lystra and Iconium, he meets Timothy. And Timothy has a good reputation and, but he is of a mixed ethnicity. He has both a mother and a grandmother who are women of the covenant, who were practicing Jews, who have become believers, and he was also of a Greek background. In this whole area, everything we see going through here is this interesting mixture as they are going to synagogues through the Roman provinces where there is the mixture of the Greek culture, but also people of the covenant that are being preached to of the gospel that are coming into the new covenant with God. So there's a lot happening here, and it could make sense. It doesn't very directly say this, but Paul found Timothy to be a very useful person to bring along, not only to further his discipleship, but to assist him in the ministry in a region that is very mixed. Here is a, a fruit, a child of a mixture of culture. And so as he is contemplating taking Timothy with him, wanting to have Timothy with him, it says that he took and he circumcised him because the Jews 
who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Now, this could be very jarring and kind of shaking after all the time that we just spent in Acts chapter 15, where it made very clear that circumcision is not necessary for salvation. That where the Judaizers were teaching and preaching that the Gentile Christians had to be circumcised, then all of a sudden, after Paul leaves that meeting and they're all doing well and they're strengthening the churches and here Paul's moving forward with the missionary journey and he meets Timothy and he sees Timothy to be useful then all of a sudden because of the Jews meaning because of some kind of conflict or some kind of thing that was going on or some kind of desire or motivation or encouragement it doesn't get into it very deeply to know for sure exactly what was going on but because it says of the Jews, not because he was concerned for Timothy's soul, not because he felt that it was a requirement for Timothy, but for the sake of those who were around him, he decides to circumcise Timothy. Now, when we step back and we look at the full of scripture, it gets to be even more confusing, not only in the context of where we're coming from, from the Jerusalem Council's decision, but we see that Paul says he doesn't pull any punches when it comes to proclaiming the unnecessary act of being circumcised. He says that, in fact, that circumcision is worthless when it comes to salvation. He's very clear on it, and then he has another opportunity later on because of a conflict to encourage Titus to be circumcised, and he says no. When there is a situation going on, he refuses for the sake of not wanting to confuse things. He does not have Titus circumcised. So we're like, why is he doing this? Now, there are some who propose it's a very small minority that Paul is kind of folding too quickly here. Most commentators and pastors, I believe, that of those of good reputation will not say that he is folding here, that this is both an understanding of the covenant thinking of the people who are around him, but also a strategy to nullify any unnecessary objection and obstacle to being able to proclaim the gospel. See, it is not wrong for Timothy being a child of a Jewish woman to be circumcised well at least there is a time and it's kind of confusing for certain but there are some who think that it would have been good for him to be circumcised he is a child of the old covenant and that might have been some of the conflict and some of the confusion and understanding the weakness of mind. And we do hear Paul saying that those who are called up with holding on too tightly to the Jewish laws, that they are weak. But you see that Paul does teach to be patient with the weak. And so understanding Timothy's background, which is unique to Titus's, because we do not see that Titus is of mixed ethnicity, ethnicity, we do know that he is one who would have been and should have been, possibly, from depending upon what was being taught in the synagogues at that time, it was not totally out of the picture for him to already have been circumcised since his mother was a Jew. 
And so since he sees that there is no benefit necessarily of circumcision for salvation, he wasn't doing it for the purposes of indicating that Timothy needed to do this. But he sees that this is a strategy of discernment in furthering the gospel. There is not an elaborate discussion here. The only thing that we have here is that we know that Paul was motivated to do this because of the Jews. And then it quickly indicates that he moves forward with delivering to them for the observance of the decisions that have been given to them from the Jerusalem council. So for the very sake of proclaiming what he wanted to proclaim about that it's not necessary, he did this so that it would not be an obstacle of confusion for their understanding of covenant. Because you have to understand that for the old covenant people, circumcision was required for all of those who believed. In a sense, it's kind of like today, if we think about those who profess Jesus Christ, who convert to Jesus Christ as one who is of an ability to make a personal confession, because of what we are taught in the scriptures, they are to take on the mark of the covenant and be baptized. But for those in the old covenant, not only do we see that those who convert to that, they are children, are to take on to that. It is actually initiated from the very beginning of the mark of the covenant that the children of believers of God's promises are to take that on. The mark of the covenant always pointed to a circumcised heart. It was not even then a proclamation for their salvation, but it was an identifier of their covenant place before God. And so just as baptism today is a not a thing that saves us, but it is a mark of that transformation of heart, you can understand those who believe why they should continue the same posture toward their children in administering baptism to their children just like the old covenant people did with circumcision, but now broadening out to all the children of a Christian household. Here was a understanding of that thinking, and he could understand that as we're in this transitional time, that it would be no use into making this as an example to argue with them, but he decides to remove the obstacle so that he can teach clearly the very point of what circumcision and baptism points to, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. It was using discernment, and we see that theme of discernment being shown in Acts 15. Through the words of it seemed good to them. It seemed good to them. And it even says that as they are contemplating their pastoral care for the Gentile Christians, that they are paralleling that seeming good, that discernment, with that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, that this is what we should deliver unto you. This teaches us something about the character of covenant leadership. Namely, in covenant leadership in the church, that there are things that we have to do through discernment to continue on doing the primary work of delivering the very clear gospel of Jesus Christ. 
There are things that are confusing sometimes and difficult and weedy. Here we have a situation where there is a marriage of a Jewish woman believer and a Greek pagan that brings forth this child. Now, that's going to be a confusing situation. It's not clean and tidy. And Paul encounters this, and he sees that in the providence of the Lord, it has put forth a person who becomes an instrument that can help further the gospel. We see him thanking God for that when he is writing Timothy later on, that he is actually hoping to continue to provoke that same faith that his grandmother and his mother had as he instills in him the calling to continue on with the ministry as Paul is facing his death ahead. This is looking at the providence of the Lord and not just making best of the circumstances, but thanking God that they're in this mess. There is a wonderful opportunity to further the gospel that this child who has connections to both cultures, who is a believer, who is obviously showing forth fruit of faithfulness, can further the gospel of Jesus Christ. How is it, what do we perceive when we see messes like that? We tend to want to see things more clean and more tidy. We would like for this passage to be more clean and tidy. There, it seems automatically that we finally, okay, we got it in Acts 15. We understand circumcision is not necessary. Okay, let's move on. And as soon as we get out of that, we get into this weedy kind of situation. Well, we already see that it gets kind of weedy when we see that Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement about Mark. That when you're dealing with humans... You're going to be dealing with a mess. But this is an encouraging passage because we can know, especially those who have read the letters to Timothy and know how God is going to use Timothy, we can see here that this is a wonderful thing that this relationship has been established between Paul and Timothy. And we can understand that as we look at where they're at on the map, and understand what's going on in these conflicting cultures, that Timothy is going to be an ideal minister for the proclamation of the gospel. And so Paul, he is still focused on moving forward, and he is using a moment of discernment, understanding both of what's going on in the mind of the Jews and what is necessary for furthering the gospel to the Gentiles. He wants to remove an obstacle That doesn't obviously mean anything to him ultimately that they are going to require this for salvation. That this is not where he's going with this. That this is a ministry strategy. And we can look at that when I say that this is something that is called upon all covenant leaders. It's not just for those who are in ministry. It's not just for those who are in missionary work. It's for all callings that we have. Today is Father's Day. And we think about... Fathers and children. We, we, it's, it's a, you know, some kind, I don't even know how the beginning of Father's Day begins, but it's not a bad thing to stop and take a moment to appreciate fathers. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we have that. It's a good thing. And we know that in this day, and I appreciated one of the young people's prayers today of how we are in a culture where people don't even know what a father is. It is definitely important to, to take a moment and to think about that. But Think about what is common for fathers to respond to when they talk to their children. And a lot of times their children will say, why are you doing this? Or why did you say this? Or why do I have to do this? And they'll just say, well, because your father said so. 
They have in some reason, they're taking together a, a collection of things. And I'm not saying that that's the best way to respond to kids. I know that can be very frustrating being a former you know, child myself and hearing that very often. It's not comforting just to hear that. But they're taking what they understand, maybe from the law and the wisdom of God, what they understand from their wisdom of life, maybe from other instruction and other things and influences in their life, and they're making a discernment to care for their children in a certain way for hopefully a long-term overarching good purpose. Now, I'm not saying that all fathers use that excuse or that statement or is in that context, but giving them a benefit of the doubt of faithful fathers, that that it's understanding that sometimes you just take all kinds of different things that you have been taught and you just have to make a call. I remember Dave even yesterday during our study together, he says, you know, sometimes it's just you hope that they just trust you, that you're wise enough to tell them this, that you just don't feel right about certain things. Sometimes you can't express perfectly why you make a decision as you do. And I don't know for sure, and I don't think we have the authority to fully define, we can only take the context and the circumstances to know exactly why Paul did this. But we can say with all confidence that he did not do this because he thought it was required of Timothy for his salvation. It would be totally in contrast in contradiction. We should have no reason to believe, based upon what we know about Paul, that he did it out of fear of the Jews, but that he actually did it to help everyone that he was ministering to. And so it's very easy often sometimes when we have people in authority to question their decisions. And because we are human and sinners, sometimes we do make decisions based upon fear. Sometimes we do make decisions because we are coerced. But in this situation, I believe that we can, with good confidence, be encouraged that Paul is making a discernment for the goodness of the furthering of the gospel. And there is fruit that comes from it. That the passage itself even tells us that the churches were strengthened in the faith, that they increased in numbers daily, that he went on with the very message that circumcision was not necessary, that faith through the work of Jesus Christ, faith in the work of Jesus Christ, is what saves. And so we can go with confidence that this was a good discerning reaction to a unique and messy circumstance in a very mixed and very interesting clash of cultures for the purposes of furthering the gospel. And we can glean from that that when we are submitted to God's word and when we are being propelled from the command of God to further the gospel, to center our lives in the gospel, that we do have this not just liberty, but calling to make wise discernments to determine what is just good. If it was not for that, God would not need to actually appoint people to be leaders in the home or in the church or in businesses or in government. They would just be rules to abide by. You would just follow the rules. But what we see here and we see magnified in the next paragraph and what we saw in the last chapter is that this is where the spirit will work. It will work through God's appointed means. The spirit will go through that call of discernment. 
Now, sometimes bad decisions are made, but God is still furthering his work in his kingdom. We may be able to dissect, I'm not even certain, that surely at the end of chapter 15, where Paul and Barnabas are wrangling over Paul, there's a good chance that somewhere in that conflict, there was probably sin in somebody's heart. But that even through selfish desires or personal offense, that God's work continues to further on. That should be very encouraging to us. That it's not going to always be perfectly tidy and neat, but that God is still furthering his work. He overrules even our weaknesses. He understands our weaknesses. He understands our frame of mind. So that's one encouraging element of how God operates the furthering of his kingdom. But then in the next paragraph, it says they went through the region of Hagara in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. This is very interesting and very perplexing thing that as they are being called to go and they've made a discernment, hey, we're going to go in this particular direction. We want to further ourselves into Asia and proclaim the gospel that the Holy Spirit had actually forbidden them from going in that direction. The Holy Spirit put a stop. We have no detail or indication of exactly how that happened. We don't know if there was some kind of war or sickness or just a a barrier of some sort or what. We don't have anything, but we have a clear instruction that it was the Holy Spirit that was redirecting their routes. Instead of going east into Asia, they were going to have to turn and go west into further into a different direction and then we have the interesting terminology which is just used a few times that this is the spirit of jesus and what does that mean and is that in distinction from the holy spirit and i would say no it's not it is identifying the unity of the holy spirit and the son That it is Jesus, as he has promised, that he breathed on the Holy Spirit to his disciples and promised that the Holy Spirit would come. That this is under the name of Jesus. That this is under the name of the work of Jesus. Now what's really encouraging for us, and I think sometimes very difficult for us in modern day, we don't tend to think about the Holy Spirit working through organized people we don't think about the holy spirit being the that that's involved when business meetings are going on or you know decisions about this or that or money or decisions about you know what kind of you know we're going to organize this particular study or this kind of thing we we like to put in the our understanding of the spirit as being some kind of more of a, of a magical, internal, emotional movement. Where here it is organized religion. I know I've made this argument time and time again, but it's something that's continued to be seen here in the calling of the scriptures for us to understand the nature of the church. That the Holy Spirit is the work of Jesus being manifested in and through the church. And sometimes he works in very ordinary ways of strategy and discernment. And then sometimes it's in 
all kinds of things that you wouldn't necessarily associate with the Spirit. We don't even see what it is, but they can't go in this direction. It's not saying that we're being unfaithful for wanting to go into Asia, but they were being stopped. And this is the work of Jesus that is going on, that Jesus has a purpose and a plan for where he wants his people to go. So both in ordinary and in extraordinary ways, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, by the name of Jesus Christ, by the work that he accomplished on the cross and resurrection, and now through his reign and ascension, he is ruling his world that is under his feet in both messy human structures and mysterious Things like just keeping you from being able to do what you want to do. That's kind of sometimes disheartening, but it's also encouraging. Because that means that when you thought you wanted to do this one thing, and it didn't happen, that for those who are his, it's possible that it's just the Holy Spirit working in that circumstance to bring you to a better place of the furthering of his gospel and his kingdom. That anytime you get a no answer from God, it's likely to be the Holy Spirit working in your circumstances providentially. Now, it could be God using the Holy Spirit to chasten you to repentance. It could be the Holy Spirit protecting you or others from harm. Or it could just be simply a strategy of the Lord to be furthering good for his overall purposes that we may not even understand ever in this life. We see here that as he redirected them, we see that he gave Paul a a clearer vision that he is to go to Macedonia. And it's very simple. It says that, There was a man who appeared to him, very similar to what we see with Peter when he was imprisoned, very similar to what we see with Barnabas. And we see here, it says, he he says, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, I have to admit, I kind of imagined the Star Wars scene with Princess Leia and everyone, you know, come Help us, you know, like <laughs> Kenobi, and call to come over there. Maybe where that came from. But it was this unique circumstance of a vision. I don't know if he came in a, in a hologram-looking circumstance or what it was, but it was a clarity of the direction that they need to go. Now, God does seem to continue to work that way in some circumstances, and he's never worked that way in me and not very many people that I know But God will often give us some kind of clarity in time. It doesn't get into the details of what kept them from going. It doesn't get into much detail except that there was a clear direction from a vision that they needed to go to Macedonia. And just to continue with the geography, that was going to be across the Aegean Sea into what is now considered to be modern-day Greece. And so it's further than west into areas that are going to be also known as Philippi and Thessalonica, places where we will also see other churches being established. 
God had a purpose. These other places will be revisited. He will be going in and out of Troas. He will be going into Asia. They'll be going back into this area in different ways. But for then and now, he was moving them further into Macedonia. And the interesting thing also that we see here in this particular narrative is that as this is being written as someone who is writing of something that they may have heard about, it now becomes first person. Because it says in verse 10, it says, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. As I close here, I could say that this seems, you know, I'm trying to make, it may seem like I'm trying to make this more exciting than what it is. It's It's a fairly mundane scenario that there was this, circumstance with circumcision and with Timothy and then there was this they were traveling through and they couldn't get this done they couldn't go in that direction the the vision sounds really exciting but it it doesn't really seem to be on the surface a lot going on here but when we stop and think about what is the what is going on in this passage the primary goal of everything that is going on here is that God is carrying his gospel to people and what we're seeing here is that he uses all, cert, all sorts of circumstances to further the gospel. You have a covenant family, half family, that's mixed between a believing woman and an unbelieving man that brings forth someone who is going to be ideal for the furthering of the gospel. And so we can step back and we can look just like Paul and we can be thankful for that circumstance. We can see that that is very strategic. We can see that is perfectly providential that something that seems like a mess is very much what God intends to use to bring the gospel of his love to lost and dying people we can see that even in the midst of conflict that there has to be decisions made that when we have to make discernments that if we make discernments in submission to God, being clear to say faithful and true, but at the same time understand the weaknesses of the circumstances around us, that God will use that love and that desire and fervor for the furthering of the gospel to bring forth fruit. That sometimes there is hard work. There's hard work for fathers in raising up children and mothers for all people who are in any kind of position of authority that God has covenanted them in. But if you submit yourself both to obedience and the love and calling of God, he will bring forth fruit that in that work people will be strengthened in their faith and the kingdom will increase. That when there is objection and obstacles that we have nothing that we can do with come up, we can trust that God is furthering his love of the gospel to people to bring them into salvation. This is actually two very hopeful paragraphs in the book of Acts. Because I think that we all can see how those things occur in our lives all the time. I know that ideally I would love to hear of perfect situations and things just run really smoothly that my children would never disobey that my wife and I would not have conflict and difficulty that the people would come and just be excited about the Lord and that our community and our culture would be on fire in obedience to the Lord 
But God has a plan and a purpose. And in all of that, he is furthering his true gospel of the transformation of hearts. See, he's not trying to make it just comfortable for us in our families or in our church or in our communities. His desire is to bring the word of God to people. I want a couple of stories of testimony to you today that I find it might be encouraging to you that happened this past week. One is Maharus and I went for our orientation along with Josiah to uh, get ready for doing gel ministry. And I, I remember we, when I went in, I, had, I recognized some people in, in the back, and I didn't think a whole lot about it at first. I was just trying to place where I may have seen them and seen one guy in particular. But as we were talking through the training, he mentions that he was talking about how when he was in there, he was wanting to encourage us that the preaching of the gospel has transformed him. And he says, I remember that some of you here today came and delivered that gospel to us. And he looked at me, and I was like, oh, he was one of the inmates. And he came up to me afterwards to thank me for that time. Three years ago, he had heard my preaching and other ministers preaching in the jail and was transformed by the power of God in the gospel and is now being a volunteer in serving in his free time instead of his captive time, the gospel of the Lord. Now, going to a jail is not an easy thing to do. You can ask my wife every time there's always wrangling in my heart and difficulty, but when I come home, there's been a transformation. And I don't really know how to explain it other than it's a spiritual warfare. But God used that to further, at least in this man's life, and from what I understand, other men's lives. Now, you can know that there's also disappointing stories of people who had, we thought, received the word, and we saw what we thought was fruit, and then they're captive once again to their weaknesses. And still, hopefully, we'll see that the Lord will release them from their captivity and that they could be fruitful and faithful in their work for the Lord. We don't understand and know how God is going to turn out every situation, but we can continue to look at the calling before us, submit ourselves to the word, and make discernments of what kind of ministries and what direction and what kind of methods and what kind of approach that we are to have. Thankfully, that whatever that was for that little small portion of that man's life, he saw it to be fruitful in bringing him into submission to the Lord. Also, I just received a message from somebody out of the blue that wanted to be a Facebook friend. And I found out that he is an associate pastor that works right down the road from me in Lebanon, bivocationally. And he is a part of a church that's weird like us. They actually have in their official documents a reference toward the Westminster Confession of Faith and the London Baptist Confession of Faith. And I said, I don't know anybody that does that. That's just weird. And you're here just like us? And and I said, why are you reaching out? He said, I just want to connect with another brother and to be mutually encouraged in the Lord. We're going to have lunch. And my point in telling you that is that 
he's just wanting to be able to check up on other churches and to have a mutual relationship where we are going back into the Word. And it's just interesting that he works literally right down the road from me, and we'll hopefully be able to connect on a regular basis and pray together. And I was just thinking about a week before that, I don't really know very many people in Lebanon. And I spend most of my time over here, and I'm like, Lord, should I be planted somewhere closer to Bristol or Abingdon or somewhere we're closer to the people in my church? And for some reason, he has put me there in Lebanon, which is being fruitful for my family in this congregation. But he's also planted someone right down the road that almost seems identical in his posture. They're an independent congregational church with just a couple of elders that have very similar convictions in spreading the gospel as we do. We don't understand some things, but we can understand with certainty that God has always established his church in a way that is furthering the gospel, and he is bringing forth his love and grace to his people. This is the spirit of Jesus for us, And when he gives us these things to do, and when we organize as we do and come together, and as we obey the Lord in taking this table, we can trust that the Lord is administering his love in his ways. We can question this table and say, why would taking this bread and this cup every Sunday, how can it do anything? Why would it be something he would tell us to do? Don't doubt the Lord. He calls us to do these things because he loves us. And we have time and time again seen where he has proven himself that that love is fruitful and faithful. I will fail you. Elders will fail you. Fathers will fail you. Mothers will fail you. Brothers and sisters will fail you. But he will still use those organizations and institutions and this table to administer his grace and love to us. So let us go to it with repentance and faith, faith and hoping that he will do the very things that he says he will do in and through us to those around us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your providence, and we thank you for your provision that you will do all the things that you say you will do as you have always done the things you said you would have done. So we have every reason to trust you now in this word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this encouragement that in the middle of our mess, you are furthering your kingdom. You are furthering your love. You are reaching out to each of us with every circumstance and situation that we are in for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and let us thank the Lord for his provision.